God has given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? And Matthew 21, 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus went to two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, And the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in, in Galilee. The word of our God. And we'll bring it back into this gallery view so that we can all see each other a little bit. And let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's an interesting pair of texts that we find ourselves with on this Palm Sunday. The one that we hear every year, give or take a little bit. And sorry, getting getting the hang of this. It's the one that we hear every year, give or take the one of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem with shouts of praise and palm branches and cloaks. It's the one about the people who welcome God unreservedly, wholeheartedly. But it's paired with the prophetic text that seems to expect 
not triumph, but rejection. The pairing would seem to point us towards the end of the week. I think it's one of those that gets selected for Passion Sunday more than our tradition in the Congregational Church of taking each day this week as it comes rather than lumping Sunday, Thursday, and Friday all together into one long, long set of readings. But I wonder if today's text from Isaiah doesn't also provide a little bit of perspective, an entry point into a story that might otherwise be very neat and tidy, that we, by virtue of hearing it year after year after year after year, I don't know about you, but it's one of the earliest stories I remember from Sunday school, and those palms out there were really excellent swords when I was three. I wonder if we might be able, because of the prophetic text and this particular pairing, to hold the familiar story a little further from our own lives than we have done in the past. For up until now, I think we've held it in the same basic place that we hold folks like Hans Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm. Because really, we hear the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and often the only part that really makes us scratch our heads is the question of how it is exactly that he is riding two animals at once. Which is a totally valid question, by the way. That one, please go ahead and ask that. I don't know what Matthew was thinking there. I really don't. We are aware that it's likely that at about the same time, on the other side of the city, the Roman governor was also arriving, not on a young donkey, but on a beautifully groomed and decked out horse. Not with ragtag disciples, but with a cadre of centurions. We are aware that some of the fun of Jesus' procession, some of the reason that people would have come out into the streets, was its overt mockery of the powers that be. But very little of this knowledge gives us a way to enter directly into the story on our own account. Very little of that points us toward the places where ancient stories intersect with modern daily life. What would it look like, do you think, if Jesus were to come among us today? Even setting aside the distinctions we immediately have to make about how Roman officials were an occupying force and a lot of the rights and freedoms that we take for granted wouldn't have been so easy in first century Jerusalem, setting all of that aside, even understanding that our situation is vastly different. The question of what it would look like here and now is still a question that we need to ask ourselves. We still need to put ourselves out there, on the Bethany Road, watching for the arrival of God. What would we expect that to look like? And how would we react? Would we be out there waving our own branches, pine and persithia and palm, waving our own scarves and bandanas before we wrap them around our faces and over our noses and mouths. I know that we all want to say that we would, we would be out there. We would be the ones who would cheer the entry into Jerusalem. 
We all want to believe that we would be the ones standing alongside the women through all that this week will bring and be ready this time next week to dig into the work of becoming the beloved community in the resurrection that is promised. We're ready, right? And yet we're all aware that our willingness to say that we would in fact be there, that we'd be faithful enough through it all, no matter how scary it got, comes from the knowledge of how the story ends. Remember, this is the one we've been hearing since we were three, two, something like that, whenever we were aware enough to be in Sunday school. We know what this week holds. And we know what's coming next week. We know that the cross isn't the end. We know that the tomb will be empty. And that has to color our perspective on where we stand in that ancient story. But this year in particular, I wonder if there isn't a slight difference between placing ourselves into the ancient story and calling the truths of first century Jerusalem back into our own modern 21st century lives. It's pretty clear in our scripture and in history that being prophetic is a pretty sure way of being hated. Gets you right under the skin of the people who are in charge and also of those who benefit from things staying roughly as they are. Prophets call us to look closely at ourselves and our lives, to see beyond our own individuality, beyond our own comfort, to hear truths that we would most of the time prefer to ignore, which means that, in general, prophets call us to change, to think beyond our own individualism, even beyond our own immediate communities, to hear the truths of how our lives ripple out beyond all of our intent and all of our understanding to touch the lives of people we may never even meet. And one thing that doesn't seem to change about the human condition over the course of our history, at least as it is recorded, is that we don't like to change. Change is hard and change is uncomfortable. And most of the time it's something that we will go to tremendous lengths to avoid. Isaiah's description of what a prophet goes through feels in many ways, timeless, if unnecessarily gendered. Don't have a beard to pull out, but okay, we'll set that part aside. And Isaiah's depiction is much more the reception of a prophet that we expect to hear. This is the one that gets repeated throughout our Bible on a pretty regular basis. It's much more expected than Jesus cheering crowds as he comes into Jerusalem. Really, that's a little unusual don't you think? For as much as we might appreciate and cheer for the prophets who call out the folks that we don't like and who mock the powerful and stand up to the hypocrites, the thing about prophets is that they rarely stop with the people we already are against. And the message of change that they bring doesn't just shift who has power in a system. It calls into question the system ourselves. And all the way down into our very way of life as participants, even in an unjust system. Uncomfortable, this whole prophetic thing. 
We're in a season now of pretty disruptive change. One that was prophesied and which we kind of ignored. And for the most part, what I've seen in the last month would actually seem to disprove a lot of my point. A lot of us have made a lot of changes very rapidly and with, quite frankly, a smaller amount of fuss than one might generally expect. Our modern prophets, the epidemiologists and social scientists, have landed some pretty uncomfortable truths before us. And for the most part, we have taken them as a nasty but reasonably efficient dose of medicine. But these virus-related changes, which we accept more easily because we know them to be temporary, have amplified the voices of other prophets who are calling us to listen to deeper truths. Truths about how we care for one another as a society and as a community. Truths about how we determine who gets resources, who is worthy, and who gets left to the side. Truths about how we measure the worth of those whom God loves. The modern prophets whom this crisis have elevated are holding up a mirror before us that shows us our own participation in an unjust system and that shows us our own complicity in a changing climate. And the words of those prophets are entering into our lives in a way that does not simply mock those whom we might already dislike, but that call us to account and that call us to make changes that, unlike this time of physical distancing, will not, in fact, be temporary. The choice is before us, right now, April 5th, 2020. This is not an ancient story, this is our daily lives. And we get to choose, today, this week, this month, how we will receive the prophets of our time. Will we cry out for salvation? Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. Will we shout aloud our blessings and make the road smoother before them? Or will we spit at them and slap them, disgrace and vilify them, and pull out whatever form of beard they might have, whatever that has to look like? As much as Today's lesson seems like an ancient story. It really isn't, because Jesus is entering into our towns, into Rochester and Lebanon, Dover and Farmington, Milton and Berwick, today, this week. The prophet of Nazareth is here, right now, speaking the truths to us that he spoke throughout Galilee and Judea reminding us to give shelter and showers and Wi-Fi to the homeless, to change a system that links healthcare to employment, to repent of a way of life that fills the air with carbon, and to understand deeply that all of creation is the neighbor whom we are called to love as ourselves. And here we are, branches in hand. Here we are with our palms ready to wave for the mockery of the powers of this world 
but also in the acknowledgement of our own need to change, even if it means that we must indeed be faithful enough to walk all the way through this week, even if it means that we must ourselves experience a sort of death, an ending of a way of life that we have known and cherished and in which we have found comfort. Here we are, branches and garments in hand, acknowledging that salvation does not come from living as we have been living, but from setting ourselves firmly on the side of the prophets, as hard a road as that might be. Because for as much as we need to bring the ancient story forward into our lives in order for it to speak to us where we are today, in order for us to find our place within it, we must not forget to bring the whole story, which does not end today, because we do indeed know how it ends. We know what the whole story sounds like, which means that we weren't entirely wrong back in the beginning to believe that we might actually have the faith of the biblical women to go all the way to the cross, all the way to the tomb. Because we know that the truth of their story is our truth as well. And that no matter what the prophet looks like, or what kind of animal they're riding, or how many animals they're riding at the same exact time, no matter whether the death we face comes on a wooden cross, or in the ending of our own sense of what is normal, of how things are supposed to be, the truth remains that however we experience that death, Whatever prophets of our age call us to confront, it is not the end, and never has been. Rather, we are confronted with the place where new life can finally begin, for us and for all who are around us. For when we cut our branches, when we lay down our garments, when we acknowledge the prophets and offer them our praise, we participate in the beginnings of that which yet can be, that which God speaks into being among us, in the voices of those who are still willing to walk the road as we lift up our prayers for both blessings and salvation. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>